You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, I'm Bob Ambrogi. And I'm Monica Bay. We've been writing about law and technology for more than 30 years. That's right. During that time, we've witnessed many changes and innovations. Technology is improving the practice of law, helping lawyers deliver their services faster and cheaper. Which benefits not only lawyers and their clients, but everyone. And moves us closer to the goal of access to justice for all. Tune in every month as we explore the new legal technology and the people behind the tech here on Law Technology Now. Hello, this is Dan Lina. Welcome to Law Technology Now on the Legal Talk Network. My guests today are Lucy Dillon, Global Chief Knowledge Officer at Reed Smith, and Nick Long, Senior Director of Legal Operations at Reed Smith. As Global Chief Knowledge Officer, Lucy is responsible for the delivery of Reed Smith's knowledge, innovation, and information strategy. Lucy leads Reed Smith's practice innovation team using technology and project management to deliver legal services efficiently. As Senior Director of Legal Operations, Nick works closely with Reed Smith's knowledge management, client technology solutions, and practice innovation teams to develop creative solutions to help deliver legal services most effectively. Nick previously worked as a partner in Reed Smith's global corporate group, and Nick is also the director of Gravity Stack, a Reed Smith subsidiary. Lucy and Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. Well, before we get started, we want to thank our sponsor, Headnote. Headnote helps lawyers get paid faster with their compliant e-payments and accounts receivable automation platform. To learn how to get paid quicker and more efficiently, visit them at headnote.com. That's headnote.com. All right, Lucy, why don't you just uh, give our listeners a little bit of, of context? They might not know Reed Smith well. Can you just kind of tell us about the firm and where it operates and so on? Sure. Uh, Reed Smith is a global service, full service commercial firm. Our global managing partner refers to us as a team of 3,000 people. 1,700 of those are lawyers. We're based across 29 offices, um, and the balance is about two-thirds in the U.S. and a third elsewhere, and elsewhere is Europe and uh, the Middle East and, and Asia. Our focus is on our, th- on our five main industry sectors, so energy and natural resources, financial services, entertainment and media, life sciences, and transportation. All right. Well, and what about you then, Lucy? Can you just tell us a little bit about your background and journey to becoming the chief, uh, global chief knowledge officer at Reed Smith? Absolutely. Well, as you can tell from my accent, I am based in our London mm-hmm. office. I'd started my career as an attorney here in, in, in London at a, another global firm. I was a commercial litigator for seven years, focusing on banking and insurance fraud. I then uh, had the opportunity to move into a knowledge management role within the litigation department at the firm. So focusing on uh, supporting the uh, litigation department but not fee earning, looking at how we could help the uh, lawyers to practice more efficiently. Did that for a number of years and then uh, did an MBA and decided that I was wanted to try uh, management. So moved into a management role, did that there. Then I moved to another uh, London firm, Bowen Leighton Paisner, which is now per part of the uh, Brian Cave Leighton Paisner, and became their first director of knowledge management. So a firm-wide role looking at knowledge management across all practice areas. And then four years ago, had the opportunity to join Reed Smith in this global role. So now looking after knowledge uh, information and innovation across um, our global platform. Great. Well, tell us just a little bit more about your role there, um, because we're seeing firms, I think, approach, well, not all firms have been applying knowledge management for as long as Reed Smith has, for example. And then also now the the word of the day is innovation. So can you kind of tell us kind of how your role, where you fit in with innovation and knowledge management? Absolutely. I say to people that uh, Global Chief Knowledge Officer is possibly the worst title in the world, but it's the best job in the firm because it can mean so many things um, and which is where the joy comes from because, you know, you can you can uh, move wherever there's need to support the business to, to be more efficient or, or, or to create new products for clients. 
So my role was originally uh, very knowledge-based and it was to evolve and develop the knowledge function within within Reed Smith. But sort of serendipity played a part. As, as soon as I joined the firm, the word innovation became a thing. And I, the more you look uh, or the more we looked at where innovation was happening, it really sat uh, side by side with knowledge because we're looking at how we can exploit our knowledge as lawyers better to deliver better, more efficient services. So it sort of naturally fell into uh, into the knowledge team's lap. And, you know, looking at how technology can do that was something that my team were already doing before I joined anyway. So it, it became that natural uh, link to have the knowledge and the innovation piece sitting side by side. And then um, I'm also responsible for uh, the library here. So our information resources and our client intelligence team. So again, that research and knowledge piece, very much fundamental to what we do here. Great. And so, Nick, Lucy's in London. You're here with me in, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Can you just tell us a little bit about your background and journey to becoming Senior Director of Legal Operations at Reed Smith? Sure. Um, I'd like to begin by taking issue with one thing Lucy said, which is that uh, her title is somewhat undefined and that her job is the most fun. <laughs> I think mine is even more undefined, and uh, therefore it makes it a little more fun. But by way of background, I was a corporate attorney for almost 20 years starting as an associate, became a partner. Uh, I was actually the last partner at what was then Sacknoff and Weaver, and the newest partner at what was then Reed Smith. Had been doing traditional corporate and M&A work for a while, and I loved it. I loved the thrill of the deal, but um, it always made me think about what more, you know, what more can I be doing? What, how can we be doing this better, faster, cheaper? Because there's, there's a, a tremendous amount of inefficiency in a traditional M&A transaction. And so that sort of led me down a path of exploring other things to do with my time. And I started doing more and more internally within the firm with both Lucy and her team and with our technology teams. And, and finally, it got to a point where I had to make a decision as to do I want to be a full-time lawyer or do I really want to jump in with both feet uh, into the more administrative side of the firm? And, you know, as Lucy said, this is a tremendous amount of fun. And so as of January 1 of this year, I, uh, I officially quit fee earning and uh, and moved over to what some may call the dark side, but I call the fun <laughs> side. Well, and tell us a little bit more about that, your, your role in charge of legal operations. And also, then I want to hear about your, your role at Gravity Stack Sure, as well. sure. So um, the title Senior Director of Legal Operations uh, is about as amorphous as, as it can get. It really means nothing to anyone, which means that just about any random special project that comes up somehow ends it finds its way to my desk. But the things that I love doing the most and that I actually spend a tremendous amount of my time on are working with uh, the practice innovation team under Lucy and working with the Gravity Stack team, really trying to identify areas of growth, trying to identify clients that we can help using the solutions we have available and using solutions that we might not even know about yet, and really being the, the bridge between both the technology side of the house and our partners and their clients to open their eyes to the opportunities that the different solutions and different approaches, not just with technology, but legal project management and design thinking, mm-hmm. how those approaches can really change their practices and allow partners to get new business and make more money off of their existing business and make clients incredibly sticky and love us even more because we're able to come to them with a solution that says, not just we're going to throw more lawyers at you and bill you more time, we're going to streamline your work process and make your lives easier. Nothing makes a client happier than telling them that you're going to make their life easier. Yeah. Well, I love hearing, uh, I think there's not enough talk about how better serving clients doesn't necessarily have to be a hit to the bottom line also for lawyers. Yeah. No, not at all. In fact, Lucy and I gave a presentation at our partner retreat earlier this year uh, where we were trying to educate our entire partnership. So if you can imagine 600 lawyers in a conference room, it's, you know, insert bad joke here. But <laughs> we were trying to open people's eyes to technology. And one of the concerns we'd heard repeatedly is not just the hit to the bottom line, but um, you're trying to steal our jobs. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so what I distilled it down to for the partnership is, is we're trying to do three things. We're trying to help you win new business. We're trying to help you keep business that you already have Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. might lose. And we're trying to make your job both more efficient and more accurate. Yeah. That's what we're doing here. 
Yeah. Well, that that's so important to engage with the the existing lawyers and get them to see the the value that it will add for them. Uh, kind of going along that point, Lucy. The broader, uh, you're the lead for innovation. How do you define and measure whether you're producing innovation? I mean, what kind of metrics do you maybe have for yourself, or what do you what do you think we ought to be able to define it at the law firm or, or industry level? So one of the things we did when we sort of took on innovation and, and started to talk about it at the firm was we were very careful with the definition because I didn't want to exclude anything. You know, you never quite know whether innovation is going to be completely internal or is it going to be completely external. It should be a combination of both. So we defined it very broadly and we said, you know, this is about uh, looking at the way we work looking at the services that we offer and also looking at new areas of law and regulation. And we sort of distilled it down to the doing things differently and doing different things and just left it at that and just saw where it where it went and where the where the energy was. And, you know, we've we've had about two years now, two and a bit years of, of really focusing on this. And we are beginning to look at, at measurements. And we look at a mix of uh, quantitative measures. So we look at, you know, are we saving time to, to some of the points that Nick just made? Are we saving money? Are we making money? You know, mm-hmm. we, do we have revenue generating tools that we've developed? And, and, and we certainly have some of those. But also looking at the qualitative measures, you know, is this making life better? You know, that work-life balance that we, we're all striving to improve. So, you know, if we've got a better product, is it improving our brand, our satisfaction amongst our lawyers and our teams and satisfaction within our clients? You know, are we delighting them with, uh, with the way we deliver, we deliver our legal service? And so there's a, there's a range of measures and, you know, one, one needs to keep that balance to make sure that we're covering all those aspects. Well, that sounds like a great list of measures. One of the important things about the definition Lucy said is doing different things because, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure you've heard this, Dan, too many times innovation is simply equated with technology. Right, right. And that's, you know, you stop there. Yeah. But there's so much more to it for a truly innovative firm. So the different things concept that Lucy hit on is, is what I think is really important about what the way we're focusing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, and I sometimes hear folks saying, well, process improvement, that's not innovative. Other people have been doing it for decades. And it's like, well, but that's the point. Right. <laughs> it is yeah. new for us. It's, yeah. I mean, and, and Other, it's... Re- yeah, lots of industries have been doing <laughs> it, but it's new to law. And yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's innovation. I mean, because clients weren't expecting that from their law firms. Right, right. And then having real metrics in place to ask, is this exactly. having an impact? I mean, yeah. 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 Well, and so that being said, what are some of your key innovation and technology initiatives right now at Reed Smith? So I was looking at this a little bit earlier today because I've been reviewing our, our innovation pipeline and we split them into different categories. So what, what I've done here is just listed just to get a sense of the proportion of the work that we're doing. So the majority of the projects that we've got on the go at the moment, uh, they fall into four categories. So one is sort of efficiency and automation. So looking at our document automation uh, pipeline and just pushing as many internal documents, but also documents for clients down the automation route because that there's, there's such an easy uh, win on on those documents both from an internal oh my goodness it's not taking me five hours to draft this document anymore mm-hmm. but also the clients just love the the approach that we're taking but also the benefit for them is that is that brand document the the, the risk mitigation piece we're doing a number of projects with clients and that's mm-hmm. increased looking at the numbers that's increased from last year and really working in partnership with them and the, having those discussions Discussions that Nick alluded to around, you know, really understanding uh, what their pain points are and then just working through what we can do to help. Sometimes it's technology, sometimes it's uh, it's not, but um, we're really, you know, making clients really want to come back to Reed Smith and creating that sticky relationship is all about working through problems with them. Increasing number of data projects around data analytics and, and how we can replay that both for internal purposes, but increasingly for clients. And as it so happens, process improvement uh, is number, is number uh, four. Uh-huh. So uh, doing uh, quite a lot of work with, with that in terms of redefining who does what when has been, has been a really interesting exercise. Nick, anything to add to that? Or? No, no. I'm really, uh, one of the things that I'm most excited about is is the data analytics projects mm-hmm, we're mm-hmm. working on, both as Lucy indicated, for for both our clients, but just internally. I mean, if you can imagine with 3,000 employees around the world, 
the amount of just raw data that we're sitting on mm-hmm. is yeah. staggering. Yeah. And Lucy and I were just on a call this morning actually about how we're we're part we're part of a firm wide initiative that's tackling exactly where to start with that, right? Because it's yeah. such a massive amount of data. It's you have to figure out where to start and what the highest and best uses of that data and how we should be attacking it and where should we be attacking it. So I mean it's it's gonna really transform how we practice law and I'm really, really excited to see how this plays out. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with you completely on the data side uh, as well, all these things. I mean I'm a big fan of the process improvement. I think too many people are kind of skipping that step a little mm-hmm. bit and trying to go to the big the big bang, the disruption. Yeah. Um, uh, on the data side of it I guess five years ago, I kind of thought this is going to start taking off. People are going to start becoming more data driven, even if it's just individual lawyers being more cognizant of capturing information in spreadsheets and so on. But the uptake has really been slow. It's been shockingly slow. And I agree with you. I would have thought that this would have been a sooner development. And I think, I don't want to say that we're on the cutting edge, but I think we're, from what our consultant is telling us, we are fairly ahead of the curve on this analysis, which was also surprising to me Mm -hmm. because, you know, we're not unique. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Mm -hmm. yes, I think we're very unique, but (laughs) we're not unique in the amount of of data we're sitting on. I mean, if you think... Just assume a couple gigs per employee, and then you've got you know large firms that are two or three times the size of ours. So everyone's got this massive pool of data. It's just you know who's going to be the one that's going to deploy it, and that's why we're trying to to race to it first. Yeah, yeah, exciting. Well, you know, I wanted to just take one second to kind of take a step back and take a big picture perspective because uh, your firm and you both have been thinking about innovation for a while. And I was wondering if we kind of do like a we think of this in terms of a start, stop, continue retrospective on innovation. I mean, I'm kind of and, and Lucy, I think I'll, I'll start with you. You know, what works, you think, and, and produces innovation that that law firm should continue doing? I think one of the things that we have done that's made a big difference is that we, for the right project, we give billable credit for the time that people spend working on those projects. And that has been, I mean, not just it's been great because people, you know, can use it to get to their targets, but it's what it demonstrates in terms of the firm's approach to these projects. You know, these are considered to be as important as your billable Mm -hmm. work. And that's been enormous for us. The second thing I sort of alluded to is the is the assessment process and making sure that we have a very rigorous assess- opportunity assessment program to make sure that the right projects get through. Now, that doesn't mean that they're all going to be successful because we all know that innovation mm-hmm, does mm-hmm. involve failure and we welcome that and we love it because you learn from, from mm-hmm. everything you do as long as you've assessed mm-hmm. it properly. But at least it means that I can then look at what we've done and st- now I'm starting to see patterns in in what's being successful and not. And it's it's labor intensive to, ha- to do those assessments. And Nick and I have conversations about corporate projects that we want to push through. Are we going to do it? Are we not going to do it? But I think those things really help. And then I think just just a huge amount of publicity around what we're doing and what's what's successful. And Nick alluded to the partner uh, meeting that we had where we talked about some of the things that we were doing. Though We did the same with our senior associates at their retreat and just making sure that we're continually talking about what we're doing. And some things are big bang, brand new, not been done before. And some things are very simple, but equally effective. And I think making sure that people understand you know, it, it covers the spectrum is really, really helpful. So those would be the three things I think that that have helped us get um, get our innovation program off the off the. Two, uh, two things that I would add to that are are one, obviously one of the most powerful languages for lawyers is money, right? And so if you can get a couple of great wins under your belt and then use the metrics from those to talk to your partners and your other lawyers about just exactly what you were able to accomplish through an innovative solution. It tends to perk up ears a lot faster and get people thinking a lot more. If mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing to say, "Hey, we've got this great new software program, and it'll help you do this, this, and this." Versus, we deployed this very innovative solution for this client, and it returned a relative profit rate of X, which in this, you know, in one case, X was twenty points higher than the next biggest client. That really resonates with someone. So getting those key wins under the belt and then promoting those, as Lucy said, promotion of the of the news is is fantastic. The other thing I would add is client listening. And it sounds simple and stupid, but it's listening with a certain type of ear. It's listening for a client that says, I've got this problem. And rather than just throwing more humans times hours at it, it's saying, 
Could we use technology? Could we use workflow? Could we improve your process? You know, there's how to tackle the problem is the most important thing, but really just having the conversation with the client and, you know, making the time to listen to your clients and hear, as Lucy said, their pain points is, is really how you can get innovation off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that is a really great point too. I love when people talk about lawyers tend to not talk to their clients all that much, ask how things are going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even just taking the expanding on the listening part of it. And this kind of goes to having empathy and understanding their problems. And it's not even necessarily just delivering what they ask for, but understanding where they sit and how you might be able to deliver something completely different. That's going to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the most interesting use cases we've had of our, of, of our corporate contract review technology have been litigators um, talking to their clients about, you know, it, it has nothing to do with the cases they're working on mm-hmm. at all. It's just mm-hmm. that litigator happened to have a good ear to listen to the client's mm-hmm. problem, mm-hmm. brought it to us, and we said, yes, there's a solution we have for you. Okay. So it's really exciting when we see that sort of cross-pollination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- those are some of the things that we know that work. What about some of the things that, you know, thinking start, stop, continue, what are the things that we know don't work and and law firms and legal services organizations ought to stop doing? Lucy, you want to take that? I think, and I'm thinking of it just in the context of, you know, our innovation program. So Mm -hmm. um, there there are are all sorts of things (laughs) we should stop doing. Um, But I think, you know, when I'm looking at our project list and, you know, how we how we keep true to that, it's projects that aren't moving the needle. So it's not projects that are failing, you know, that we need to. It's just they haven't shown the difference that that we thought. And, you know, we we have to be honest about Mm -hmm. that and move on. And, you know, part of it is the messaging around this hasn't worked this isn't right for us now, which is the, the mantra that I use here. And, you know, don't stop thinking, don't stop being creative, but we need to find projects, you know, that are going to make those impacts that that Nick was talking about and, uh, you know, encouraging those conversations. I, I think one of the biggest things, and I'm not a big fan of this word, but I'm going to use it anyway, is um, ideation without proper support. Mm. And I, I mean that in two ways, one of which is we've had instances where Partners will come up with what they think is a new great idea and, mm-hmm. and dump it on our practice innovation team and then literally run away. Uh, and so our practice innovation team makes a noble effort at starting on the project, but then can't really do anything because this person's run away and just assumed that, well, these people are good at technology. They'll figure it out. They'll solve it. And everything's going to be fine. I can just go on my business. Where we've had the most success is where people, the partners who come up with these ideas or anyone else, are truly engaged in the development and implementation of the idea. That's that's the really greatest thing. The other thing that doesn't work along the lines of ideation is, is buying something new buying some new software product or getting a new person on board without having thought through the actual use case or the business case for that Mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we pride ourselves on in Gravity Stack is that all of the products we're rolling out are demand-led. It's not like we had someone sitting in the back of a room pondering about the next great Mm -hmm. thing and going off in a corner and developing it. It's we identified a need, we heard the need over and over again, and then developed a product to address that need. Whereas we've seen other firms go out and say, you know, you'll go to a clock or whatever conference you want to go to, you'll walk around the floor, you'll see a piece of software, mm-hmm. you'll buy the software, mm-hmm. it sits on the shelf, and it wasn't promoted properly, it wasn't implemented properly, it doesn't have enough champions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a number of places where things can fall down. And so really that proper support, I think, is without proper support is yeah. something firms yeah. are doing wrong. Yeah. Okay. All right. So one last piece in the start, stop, continue. What new things do you think legal services organizations ought to be doing in the future to to be able to innovate? Lucy, you want to share your thoughts on that? I think we should think outside of law. I think we should look at what is happening in other industries. Um, We're always told uh, your competitor doesn't look like you. So don't look at your competitors. Look, Mm -hmm. Look elsewhere. And that feeds very nicely into the point that we've just been talking about around talking to your clients, looking at what they're doing, because, you know, within their legal department or outside their legal department, there are all sorts of exciting things happening, which which we can learn from. So, you know, I think encouraging and I encourage my team to to look outside of law and see what's happening else elsewhere. Nick, do you have anything? Uh, I, I would actually second what Lucy said. I think it's 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 learning 
the law for so long has been viewed as this noble profession that it's so unique and so different that only lawyers can do what they're doing. I think to think outside of the box, as Lucy said, and I'm actually copying her now, but um, <laughs> you know, to, re- to really embrace, embrace a new approach to what we're doing because, and I think we'll talk about this in a bit, but you know, it's a very protected profession for the moment, but I don't yeah. think it's going to be like that forever. Yeah. And we'd be loath to sit on our hands and not address the fact that the dynamic under which we've been operating for so long is likely going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and why not look to other industries that have faced tremendous change to figure out how we can be better at what we do? Yeah. Well, and that's a great teaser because I want to talk a little bit about the proposed... I set proposed, you up with that. <laughs> thank you, Nick. That, that was perfect. We'll talk a little bit about some of the changes in regulation happen. I want to talk about the, the uh, Summer Technology Associate program. But before we continue our interview with Lucy Dillon, Global Chief Knowledge Officer at Reed Smith, and Nick Long, Senior Director of Legal Operations at Reed Smith, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. Hey, law firms, getting paid is fantastic, but dealing with accounts receivable is such a pain. What if there was a better way? Enter Headnote, an industry-leading compliant e-payments and AR automation system. Their unique blend of features cuts through the noise and helps you get paid 70% faster. Skip the paper checks, spreadsheets, and awkward calls due to overdue clients. Get paid faster with less effort. Visit headnote.com for more information. And we're back. Thank you for joining us. We're with Lucy Dillon, Global Chief Knowledge Officer at Reed Smith, and Nick Long, Senior Director of Legal Operations at Reed Smith. Nick, I'd like you to tell our listeners a little bit about the Summer Technology Associates Program at Reed Smith. I know you just went through the second summer of that program. Mm-hmm. Just tell us a bit about the program and how's, how it's going. It's going fantastic. So the, the Summer Tech Associate Program uh, was an idea we started in the summer of 2017 with a class of three students. And the idea is that uh, what really led to it was that the law student of the future and the the associate of the future is not going to be the same as the associates we see now. They're going to need to be more facile with, with technology and with innovation. And so what we decided to do is have a small group of summer associates in addition to our normal summer associate class that would have a portion of their time devoted purely to technology and innovation. So we didn't have a fixed number to start with. It ended up about 60 to 70% of their time was spent on traditional legal work, and the remainder of it was spent on technology and innovation. The breakdown of their time worked out about that for both the first year and this last year. And the reports that we've had from the associates were that they absolutely loved the experience. The people we had for our initial class, actually, Dan, you know one of them, you know two of them quite well, had a significant technology background and had a demonstrated interest in legal technology and technology generally. And so they were a great way to introduce this program to the firm because they were able to not only demonstrate their interest in law, but also help bridge the the technology understanding that I talked about earlier between the partnership and the and the lawyers. Well, and one of the things I really love about this program is, and this relates a little bit to what we're doing at the Institute for the Future of Law Practice, and sometimes there's confusion, and, and sometimes people think if in the law school we're training someone to understand project management or data analytics or technology that mm-hmm. we're not training them to be a lawyer. And, and of course, what we're trying to do first and foremost is train these law students to be better lawyers. That's exactly right. And it's, it's not just, it's better lawyers now, but the way Lucy and I were describing it is, one of the questions we often get asked is how many people are you going to have next year? What it's going to look like mm-hmm. the year after that? Mm-hmm. And really the long-term vision for this is at some point there's not going to need to be the classification of summer tech legal associate. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be summer associate. Yeah. This is going to become the new normal. Yeah. I don't think that's next year. I don't think that's even five years from now. I don't know when that's going to be, but that is our long-term vision is that all of our associates at some point are going to be coming out with the skills that are necessary to really practice law in the 21st century, like innovation, legal project management, etc. And the feedback we got from our students this year was that 
actually the other summer associates felt jealous mm. that they mm. weren't able to do the same. And one of the recommendations they had for us, not sure whether we're going to implement it because it's quite hard to uh, to do, is that we should give all our summer associates legal tech projects mm. to do because everyone wanted to be oh. everyone wanted to be part of it, which was phenomenal feedback because you know you you do wonder how these people are going to be integrated because mm-hmm. they're slightly different, they have a slightly different role to the other summer associates. But not only were they integrated, but they were envied by their peers, which for me was a great uh, a great badge that this is this is working well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that is, I mean, there's a strong pull in law school just to like take the traditional path. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that is one of the things I'm so excited to see some of the students of mine who've gone on to work with you in this. I think it's a tremendous opportunity. And I hope it's less than five years that most law firms are saying, this is what every summer associate ought to look like. I, I hope it is too. But we've, and so we've got our first class, like I said, it started, mm-hmm. it start, or sorry, 2018. We've got the first two coming on board as full-time associates this fall. And so we're really excited to see how this plays out because it is a new thing for, you know, no one's ever done this before. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of writing the book as we go. It, and it's very, it's sometimes daunting, but it's also very exciting to be able to create out of whole cloth a new position within a law firm that no one's ever seen before. Um, so they'll start in, my God, like two weeks, I think. Yeah. Lucy, we need to get working on that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, it, it's a great time for us. And it, it's been interesting as with all new things, there's a change component to it, right? Mm-hmm. And so last summer, there were a lot of partners and even other associates in the firm kind of looking at Lucy and I a bit askance, saying, who are these people? What are they doing? What is this title? I don't understand this. Now it's this summer, everyone knew what they were doing and why they were here. Um, and I think we're going to have a little bit of that conversation again this fall because these people are now coming online full time. But Having now had two years of this under our belt, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be less of a challenge, and I think they're going to be embraced with open arms. I mean, one of the many things I love about this is, and I mean, I have this hypothesis, and this is just another data point that is is uh, hopefully providing some evidence that there are large, great opportunities for lawyers to learn about these technologies so they better understand the opportunities as well. And of course, they're still going to work with people who have even deeper expertise in those areas. Uh, it's not like I'm, we're training students here in these Northwestern classes to actually be the developer, no. although we have some students who are developers and some computer science students who are developers. But the lawyer being in the position to really understand uh, what the lawyers do and, and where their, the opportunities lie. Yeah, it's it's a different way of thinking is what we're really looking for. And that's exactly the types of programs you're offering and, and Kent is offering and other schools around here. That approach is what's really going to make them wildly successful lawyers. Okay. Uh, and Lucy, we were chatting a little bit earlier too about uh, some other uh, things you're hearing in the marketplace, kind of the demand for, for lawyers with these skills. Can you just kind of tell us a little bit more about how you're seeing uh, the, the response from the marketplace? Absolutely. Happy to. Um, yes, uh, we, were, we were talking earlier about things that I'm hearing in the market here in London, uh, where I have to say the education is lagging somewhat behind in terms of legal tech and other areas adjacent to it in terms of new ways of working, new ways of thinking. Although we have a much more open market, we may talk about later, we're not seeing the universities embrace these courses as, as much as, as you have in, in the US. And we're very envious about the, the students that you have coming out of uh, schools such as such as yours, Dan. We're, we're having to do it ourselves uh, when they when they join the firm, and I can talk about that in a minute. But uh, we're hearing clients saying, actually, this is really critical for us. You know, we need you to understand us better, and in order to understand us better, you need to be able to ask better questions. You need to have that client listening ability that we've heard uh, about earlier. It's not just about knowing the law. It's about knowing how to apply it. And that is a far wider issue than just being a great technical lawyer. We we take that for granted, but we want you to be able to ask the right questions and create solutions with us. So the whole service design piece is, is coming to the fore. And it's our client. It's brilliant because it's our clients telling us that they want us to do this. So it fits right in with what we're doing, which is great. And, um, you know, anything that clients want, we need to really address. So it's coming right to the fore here. Yeah. Well, just one follow up question on that for both of you guys. So we've got a new crop of incoming 1Ls uh, in just a month here. I mean, what would you be telling those new law students as far as what's specifically are some of these other skills that they ought to be thinking about developing? 
I think it is about, and they will need help with this, but it's about as they, and this is what I, I, I tell our summer, summer legal tech summer associates, it's when you're looking at a legal problem, so you're given a project to do or a legal issue to consider, think about how else it could be done. You know, you're, you've been taught to approach a problem in a particular way and to draft a report or to write something out. But as you're looking at, you know, the project you've been given, the, the work that you've been given, just think about technology. Now, you do need a bit of background. So you need to do a bit of research into what technologies are available. But these are things that people are using in their day to day. You know, every time you buy something online, you fill out a form. Well, that's automation. So it's about applying what they what they're already using in their personal life to what they're learning at law school. And, you know, you do, as you said, you don't need to be a coder, although so often people are these mm-hmm. days because they mm-hmm. want to create their own mm-hmm. things, you know, and that's great. But it's about having that, that wider appreciation of how we can solve problems and then communicating that. Uh, and that, that piece around the listening, you know, not, not just speaking, but, but the listening as well. So I think those would be my my two or three. Uh, yeah, I think listening is one of the most critical things. The other I would add is legal project management. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, that's becoming so important as as efficiency pressures are, are put even great, more importantly upon us as a law firm to understand how to do things better. And just looking at process is going to be really important. It's becoming a very hot area. And I think the more students can get behind that now, the better they're going to be equipped when they, when they graduate in three years. And then I think, as Lucy said, the other thing is just a uh, a good understanding of legal technology. You know, one of the things that we really like about the legal tech program is Lucy and I and and the firm strongly believe that you can't really bring to bear a good technology solution unless you also have the legal skills to go with it. Mm -hmm. And that's why the hybrid approach that we've developed, I think, really works. And so, you know, develop your skills as a lawyer by all means. But to take those classes like you're offering, Dan, and other schools are offering is really important to be able to approach the problems, as Lucy said, and be able to think about it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I love the emphasis on the foundational skills in addition mm-hmm. to the the data and tech skills. I mean, uh, I hear too often that people think project management is just common sense, but it's it's a discipline. No. And learning about project management and process improvement when it's when it's taught well and when it studies the discipline, it helps you become a more effective manager and leader as mm-hmm. well. You learn a lot about how to lead people, build teams. Yeah. I mean, a, a litigation matter, a, an M and A deal, they are at their core projects. And Mm -hmm. for too long, no one ever thought about them that way. And so, or in the traditional project management sense, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think my observation has been too, just um, this skilling up is really important to seize opportunities now, but we were talking about data analytics before and, and the technology, but I think more and more as we see these tools implemented, we're starting to see an emphasis on what are our ethical duties and to actually effectively be able to provide advice when people are giving us access to data and we're using that in the delivery of services and we're using AI, whether it's rules-based or statistical learning. Don't the lawyers providing the services need to understand a little bit about how these things work? And you haven't even hit on bias yet either. So <laughs> sure. I mean, that's, a, yeah. that's a whole other topic. Yeah. So there, there's a lot there. Yeah. And sometimes we think of the legal industry as a fixed pie, right? But there's oh. so many opportunities for more things to do to serve our clients, serve society. Lots, yeah. lots there. Oh, Lucy, I did, you know, I did really want to ask you about too, and you alluded to this earlier a little bit. So we're talking a little bit about what we're doing in, in the law schools. Uh, what kind of things are you doing inside of the law firms to try to train your lawyers to be innovators and develop some of these skills as well? So I think, and, and I'm going to split uh, and, and be a little jurisdictional based because we're doing some things here in London, which I'll talk about now, actually, because we're having to make up for the fact that these skills are not being taught So we've designed an innovation course, uh, which covers a whole host of things. And we may change the name, I have to say. Uh, But it covers identifying problems, design thinking, a little bit of tech, but more just highlighting the opportunities that, uh, that tech brings. We're doing some client listening in the sense of having some people who've been on secondment because this is for junior lawyers so he didn't want to sort of bring a client in but talking to some of our lawyers who've been on secondment to clients to just share 
what it's like to be a client because I think some of our junior lawyers don't know. And so we have a five session program that we ran this summer uh, for some of our, our students. It was really well received. And so we're going to run it again for a much bigger audience and we may even offer it. This is just for our trainees here in London. So for people in their first two years of practice, um, but we will roll it out um, a little more widely. And in for our wider associate program, so globally, we will be looking at evolving that for our associates on a global program where we're looking to upskill our, our, some of our uh, more senior associates with things like approach to innovation, innovative thinking and problem solving. Legal project management is another one. So we're actually going to run some some courses, which will be very, you know, it won't be chalk and talk, as we call it here, it will be much more um, problem mm-hmm. problems based and, and working uh, possibly with some clients to solve common uh, problems. So sort of evolving some of the things we've we've done here and, and, and making them more widely available, because although we've talked a lot about starting at the beginning and building our innovation and legal tech program from the bottom up and having our first associates joining in September, we mustn't forget that we have a huge audience of people who who have who won't benefit from that because they're they're past it. So uh, we're looking at uh, at developing some programs yeah. uh, specifically. I, I'm really excited about this particular aspect because it's part of our, uh, we just rolled out what we call Associate Life 2019, which is our new effort um, at improving the lives of our associates, as you might guess from this title. <laughs> but a core component of that is uh, three, uh, we're not sure exactly what to call it yet, but it's either a certification or accreditation program, one of which is on innovation, being headed by Lucy, one of which is on legal project management, and one of which is based on legal technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is going to be open to all of our associates um, so they can really get exposure. And as Lucy said, it's not just going to be talk. I was just on a call yesterday where we were talking about developing actual metrics by which to gauge people's uh, performance and understanding of the material they've received. So it's going to be a very robust program, and I'm really excited about not only the implementation of the program, but when we rolled this out or when we announced that we were doing it a couple of weeks ago, I was really thrilled with the number of inquiries we received from associates saying, you know, when when is this coming out? Make sure that I get in it. I really want to be in this. It sounds very exciting. And, you know, I didn't want to say, well, I haven't even, well, now I guess I am saying it out loud, but <laughs> we haven't even written it yet. But um, the amount of enthusiasm uh, that was generated by the just announcement of these programs was was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. This is exciting to hear. And I, uh, this is the kind of thing, too, I want more of our students to hear, right? And so they mm-hmm. understand that uh, these skills are, are valued and being taught in, in the law firms. Absolutely. Yeah. So great. Absolutely. Great, great. Uh, well, so we're starting to get a little short on time. I do want to talk, though, a little bit about, again, we chatted before the program about some of the the, the proposals for re-regulation of lawyers here in the U.S. and and uh, folks in the U.K. have experienced some of this. Nick, why don't we start with you? Uh, you know, there's there have been some proposals, uh, discussion about Utah, Arizona, California is actually has a set of proposals out now talking about liberalizing the market a little bit, mm-hmm. thinking about re-regulating. Lawyers. I mean, is this something you've been keeping an eye on? Kind of. On- uh, you know, it's as as in the legal operations side of the firm yeah. now. It's something I'm sort of keenly interested in to mm-hmm. see uh, when when the competition is going to come knocking at our door. Yeah. Because I do think it's a matter of of when, not if. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I quite expected it the way California rolled it out. You know, I, I would have thought it was more about the big four pushing for it, but now they're just talking about the sort of non-lawyer technician practice role. So I don't I don't fully have the the scope of what that looks like, but what really interested me about the California proposal is the um, the provision or the proposal to allow technology to provide legal services. And that frankly frightens me a little bit because one of the things that we always talk to our clients about when we talk about using technology is technology is better than lawyers alone. Lawyers and technology is better than technology alone. Technology alone has some inherent dangers in it. You know, I mentioned briefly implicit bias, but, you know, without a a qualified individual looking at the output from a technology solution, I fear that the... I fear that it may lead people astray or may frankly give wrong advice. So I'm, 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 I'm particularly keen to see how that particular mm-hmm. part of it plays out. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, long term, I think it is a great solution because when we talk, you know, we were talking about access to justice earlier, it really has a powerful way to put 
access to justice in the hands of a lot of people that would not otherwise have access. So I'm really excited about that aspect, but I am very worried about it going the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that there's a problem that you're presenting there that big law firms like Reed Smith, hopefully working with places like Northwestern, we can we can lead the way on some of this, right? And get in a, a one big reason why we're talking about trying to build technology tools is the the access to justice crisis we mm -hmm. have, where it's between fifty to eighty percent of the public don't have access to legal yeah. services. So I think, and, and there are a lot of folks in this task force and connected who have those same concerns. At Reed Smith, this goes back to the ethical concerns too, right? I mean, when we're building these tools, how mm -hmm. do we test them? How do we make sure that they're accurate? They don't have biases of different kind. They don't have right. noise. They actually work well. And, and I'm sure those are the kind of things you're working on. And I'd yeah. like to think the Academy has something to contribute uh, yeah. to that too. Yeah, no, it, it is. There's a lot to think about there. But you know, when we talk about access to justice, you know, there are ways that technology can help very simply. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you one really succinct example. Um, one of our summer tech associates in uh, Pittsburgh, who's going to be joining us full-time this fall, or next fall, I should say, helped to automate a form that uh, transgender people are required to file uh, in either county or state court in Pennsylvania in order to have their na le name legally changed. And apparently it's a somewhat complicated form and it takes a while to fill out. Um, and he took it upon himself to automate this form mm -hmm. so that we could handle an incredibly large volume of, you know, it, it's something that should be relatively simple, right? I don't want, yeah. I want to be Nicole now. I don't yeah. want to be Nick anymore, but yeah. it is apparently complicated. And so he's made it that much easier for people to come in and get the help they need quickly, cheaply, and efficiently. Um, so, you know, something is, it's not a horribly complex use of technology, but but it is technology coming to the aid of access to justice, and that is exciting. Yeah, yeah. Well, so many of these examples are using relatively basic technology, but someone who understands the legal process and, and can apply process improvement or design thinking to it to simplify things and then really leverage and then scale the solution with technology. So. Yep. Yeah. So Lucy, I think there's a lot of discussion here then in the U.S. and I heard it at this public hearing about the California proposals last weekend. People are drawing comparisons to the U.K. and some people seem to suggest that, oh, well, not enough has happened in the time that, that uh, we've had alternative business structures and, and a little bit looser regulation available. And you kind of tell us, I guess, from your perspective, how has this unfolded in the U.K.? What maybe can we learn from and, and look forward to in the U.S. if we keep moving down this path? There are two areas really that that were the the main focus of well three uh, of attention. So our law changed in 2007. So if you think that was 12 years ago, I suppose it is fair to say that the world has not turned upside down here. And I think one of the main drivers for that change in the law was to allow external investment in law firms. And there was a feeling that that was going to completely revolutionize the way uh, law firms were run, that the private equity companies would, would rush in and there'd be a huge transformation. That bit hasn't happened. There have been, I mean, if I count them on the number of on, on two hands, fingers of two hands, probably, the number of firms that have gone down that route, a number of firms have registered to take advantage of it, but we haven't really seen seen that. So I think that was one of the areas that we were we were expecting there to be a lot of a lot of change. We've had a lot of people uh, start, and I think it may be the the non lawyer technician point. I'm not familiar with the terminology in California, but uh, we have a number of you know so licensed conveyances now buying and selling property wills, uh, people drafting wills. And that's something which you can you can do online here. It's not legal advice, really. It's mm -hmm. legal information, to mm -hmm. be honest. But a lot of that has, has moved out of the traditional law firm and into um, other uh, providers. And then the issue of non-lawyers joining partnerships. Mm -hmm. So uh, we can now have um, accountants or surveyors or uh, other forms of uh, legal ser um, other service providers joining and becoming partners and sharing profit within uh, within the law firm, which allows us to allow I say us mm -hmm. uh, English mm -hmm. lawyers generally not something that we've done a huge amount of here, although we're like all law firms, we're looking at it, delivering non-legal services. Um, so non-legal advice. So doing consultancy work and offering adjacent advisory services is something which actually has taken off. And there's a lot of that happening um, uh, to offer that wider service to clients 
you know, we have the big four breathing down our neck in a, in a very significant way in, in the UK. And we're looking to, you know, how we, you know, differentiate ourselves to have a different offering. Uh, but it does, uh, you know, having having other professional services working alongside us does does help uh, to some extent widen the offering. All right. Well, it's certainly something that is helpful here is to be able to learn from others who are who are um, innovating with the way to regulate lawyers. And so uh, it just as it's really interesting to see kind of how innovation is something that's really happening around the globe. I mean, it's so interesting to see the stuff that's happening in London. Uh, what other jurisdictions do you think maybe we should be keeping our eyes on where there maybe is innovation that we see popping up that uh, maybe people uh, Arno is aware of, especially here in the US? I can offer two. One is France, which is, and they've just had a um, a, a bit of a setback in, uh, they've been trying to use, similar to some of the products in the US where they're mining case law, uh, there's been a, a bit of a, a setback there where the, the courts have put a, a stay to that for the moment. But um, a lot of, and I was surprised at how active the startup industry is in, in France, a lot of activity mm-hmm. there, similarly in Germany, uh, but, but France in particular, um, Singapore okay. mm-hmm. is a very hot mm-hmm. market for innovation and uh, legal tech. She stole my answer. I was going to say Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, and, and uh, it, it just really is interesting. And I, I've seen that in some of the students we have coming to Northwestern, but then also programs I've done at Busirius Law School and mm-hmm. I in Madrid that exactly. there is yeah. strong interest around the globe and, and law firms, legal aid organizations, people want to start their own small firms. So it's really a, a global movement. Well, thank you so much for your time today. But before we close, I'd just like to let our listeners know how they can get in contact. Lucy, can you let us know how our listeners could reach out to you if they wanted to? Certainly. Well, I'm on the Reedsmith website, my email address, and I will spell it out because it's it's slightly different to what you would expect. It is lucy.dillon at reedsmith.com. And I'm on LinkedIn. Easy okay. to find. Nick? Uh, nlong at reedsmith.com, also on LinkedIn. And, and make sure you use the lucy.com. Otherwise, you'll email a finance partner of ours in New York who will not know what you're asking about. <laughs> <laughs> She's learning fast. <laughs> Well, thank you again so much for joining us, uh, Nick Long and Lucy Dillon. This has been another edition of Law Technology Now on the Legal Talk Network. Please take a minute to subscribe and rate us in Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Linna. Please follow me, retweet links to this episode, and join us in the legal innovation and technology discussion online. And join us next time for another edition of Law Technology Now. I'm Dan Linna, signing off. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.